0: the bible are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book do you find it daunting or delightful or both
1: welcome to the club the bible book club where we read every word of this great book and then study it together
0: Last episode, we took a trip through the entire Torah, not just Exodus. We talked about all the five books of the Torah, which make up the first five books of the Bible, all of them written by Moses. And it is really the history of the Jews, those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the Bible bender for me was that the actual wandering those 40 years in the desert didn't really happen in exodus and i don't know why i thought they did but they didn't they it's because of the movie in numbers because the movie yeah we've all seen the movie or maybe you haven't don't watch the movie it will confuse you it's <laughs> condensed version just listen to the bible book club and then you'll it'll all be clear but exodus has two parts so chapters 1 through 18 are the story of the exodus from egypt and then 19 through 40 tells the story of God creating a covenant with the Israelites at Mount Sinai. So the summary is this. Exodus is the story of how God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian oppression created a covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai, and then dwelt among them in the tabernacle.
1: Excellent. This week, we are gonna start in Exodus 1, and we're gonna do half of Exodus 2. So before we open, when the curtain closed on Genesis, Jacob and his family had taken up residence in Egypt to begin a period that actually was foretold by God in a vision to his grandfather, Abraham, way back in Genesis 15. I 13. And this is what it said. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So this was foretold to Abraham. It is now happened. When Genesis closes, they go into the 400 years. When the curtain opens, in Exodus today. The 400 years have passed since Genesis ended. And while the pages are silent on what transpired during the 400 years, God was not absent. He was delivering on a promise that could be heard throughout Egypt in the vigorous cries of Hebrew babies. The kids just kept on coming and Abraham's family was well on their way to becoming as numerous as the stars. We can't quite call them a nation as they are still just a people living as slaves. And these slaves, this want-to-be nation, they need a savior. They need deliverance. But then that is what this story is all about, how God delivered on his promise in Genesis to make them a great nation. However, what God wants, Satan does not. We open with oppression and infanticide, an attempt of the enemy to stop God. Chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of
0: Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkatar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them.
1: All right, Moses is doing a little trick here. He's telling one continuous story from Genesis through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers to Deuteronomy, as you mentioned earlier. And so he begins this chapter by restating facts from Genesis. First, he ties Genesis to Exodus by starting with the exact same words as in Genesis 46, 8. He says, these are the names of the sons regarding who went to Egypt. So he's kind of repeating, he's picking up the story and refreshing everyone's memory. Then he cleverly ties in the fulfillment of the promise given to them by God in the very beginning of the Bible by using three phrases that God uses throughout Genesis. Those are be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth. God said this first to Adam in Genesis chapter 128. Then to Noah in Genesis 8 and 9. Then he said it again to Abraham. He reiterated it to Isaac and Jacob. In the Exodus verse we just read, the only difference is it is not future tense like it was for all the others. It's past tense. They were fruitful. They had increased and the land was filled. Moses, we will learn, does not consider himself to be a great orator, but he certainly makes every word count in didn't, these books. Didn't he have a stutter? Yeah, he. Did. well, at least in the movie he did. We're going to get to it. Yes, Aaron, he had to rely on Aaron a lot to speak for him, but mm-hmm. he must have gotten better because he gives some great speeches we're going to hear in Exodus.
0: Continuing on in verse eight, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt, Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Rameses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In
1: all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Let's talk about this oppression. Pharaoh's oppression is not simply a battle of Israel versus Pharaoh or Moses versus Pharaoh, although it may feel like it during the plagues. This is really a battle of God versus Pharaoh. Pharaoh is directly opposed to God's redemptive plan to grow and use this family. This first attempt to control the Hebrew population through oppression and hard labor does not work. So Pharaoh tries a different tactic, murder or infanticide. See, I always thought that Pharaoh
0: just wanted to use the Israelites because it was his way of making them richer because they were working for him.
1: Yes, but he was really being used of the enemy to keep God's plan from having happening too. I mean, he was in direct opposition to what God wanted. God's not going to let that happen. No, he's not going to let that happen. <laughs> Continuing on
0: then in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see a baby that is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, "Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live?" The midwives answered Pharaoh, "Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive." So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own.
1: All right, and at birth. First, shout out, let's talk about this. Shout out to the midwives. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, which we read that and kind of gloss over it quickly. But if you think about it, this is an all powerful king. In, in a, an amazing country, like during that time, they had education, He was, they were building these huge thing, you know, buildings. And so this is like, you know- Pharaoh is a scary guy. They should be yes. scared of Pharaoh. And, and here they are, you know, just your typical like nurses kind of doing their <laughs> thing. And they get called before the king and he tells them to do this. And it had to have been scary, but they feared God more, which is amazing. And I, I really wish if only our physicians- Today, we're so brave because at the time of this recording, there are only 21 states with a ban on partial birth abortion. And if we think, oh, well, this sounds horrible, you know, these midwives are supposed to kill these babies as they're being delivered. Well, the law defines today a partial birth abortion as a procedure in which the doctor intentionally delivers a living fetus until, in the case of a head first presentation, the entire fetal head is outside the body of the mother, or in the case of a breech presentation, any part of the fetal trunk past the navel is outside the body of the mother. For the purpose of performing an overt act, usually the puncturing of the back of the child's skull and removing the baby's brains, that the person knows will kill the partially delivered fetus. That's awful. This is only banned in 21 states today that straight from the government website. So the fact that we, we only ban this in 21 states, we can't, we certainly can't judge the Egyptians too harshly because we're doing it now. Um, but what was even more remarkable about the midwives and their courage is this, it is suspected that the midwives were probably Egyptian midwives assigned to Hebrew deliveries. So the fact that they, from working with the Hebrew people, had learned to fear God was amazing. And the reason they suspect this is because Pharaoh assumes they will comply and says, when you help a Hebrew woman intimating that they were not mm-hmm. Hebrew and, and also their names too. The midwives are blessed and their names are forever recorded in the book as an honor to their amazing courage. And there's not very many women whose names are mentioned. So it's really kind of sweet that they were that fearless that God remembered them. Continuing on in verse 22, then Pharaoh gave
0: this order to all the people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl
1: live. Okay. So he's kicking it up a notch now. This is the third thing. First, it was oppression and slavery. He thought that would keep them from reproducing. And then we had infanticide at birth. And now he's just saying, drown them in the Nile. So it's interesting that he chose this form of death because the Nile was a life giving force to the Egyptians. In just a few chapters, the reverse of this is going to happen. Water at the Red Sea will become an instrument of death for the Egyptians and deliverance for the Israelites. So God just loves to, you know, turn things upside down. And he's going to do that. Just a few chapters. (laughs) Throughout the Bible, water is used as a symbol of salvation and eternal life by God. In John 4, 13, Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, referring to the well water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in this case, the water parting of the Red Sea is again that source of life and a new beginning for the Israelites. This is also the first recorded example of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism is the hostility to or prejudice against Jewish people. There are many historical occurrences of anti-Semitism, but none are documented documented as thoroughly as the Holocaust in World War II. Now, why do we have anti-Semitism? Why is it such a thing? Well, of all the nations, Satan hates the Jews because God promised the Messiah would come from them and the Messiah will crush Satan. In Genesis 3, after the fall, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And that's why we have anti-Semitism Even today, it is tactic of the enemy to stop God's plan. All right, moving into a savior is born and he was a savior. Let me just give you his family background because we're going to head into the birth of Moses in chapter two. Moses came from the tribe of Levi on both sides, both his mother and his father. And they, his parents were a little different in that they were faithful. They had maintained their faith while many of the slaves, the Hebrew slaves in Egypt had lost it. And we know they're still faithful because of their names. His father's name was Aram, which means exalted people, which the Jews were not at the time. And this implies that his parents were faithfully looking forward to that time when they would become a great nation. His mother's name was Jochebed, which means the honor of Yahweh. He had a brother, Aaron, who was three years older than him. And he had a sister, Miriam, who was at least eight years, maybe 10 years older.
0: And the tribe of Levi, they're not yet, right? But they're going to become the priests. No, they were. The
1: oh, st- they already were well, called the priests. Yes.
0: They're going to be the tribe of priests. Yeah. All right. Let's read the birth of Moses in chapter two. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him.
1: That's a sweet sister. It's a sweet sister and a sweet mom. Okay, let's talk about Jochebed. First, she was courageous to hide the child for three months. She knew what she was doing and she knew probably what the ramifications were. She was also creative. She kind of flouted her faith in the face of the Egyptians by floating the baby in the very river the Egyptians had ordered her baby to be killed. So again, kind of crazy that she chose to put him in the river, which is where the Egyptians wanted him. And let me talk about her faith. I cannot imagine by placing her baby in the river, she was kind of demonstrating that she believed not my will, God, but yours be done, which is what Jesus said on the cross. It's like she's saying, okay, I'm gonna put him where he could ultimately end up. And, but God, I'm gonna put him there hoping that you're gonna do something amazing. And lastly, she was hopeful. This is kind of crazy, but she let Miriam watch. I had, Miriam's only eight or 10. So she knew Miriam was watching, which could have been horrifying if you consider crocodiles and other things that could have happened. The basket could have turned over. So she really, really, really was believing in hope that something great was going to happen because she let her eight, eight-year-old eight watch. So she wanted to know, but it's almost kind of like she couldn't watch herself. <laughs> But it's okay for Miriam to watch. What if the poor child had died? I don't know. All right. I want to talk about the Hebrew meaning of this kind of strange description of a fine child. Now, that is the NIV interpretation of this word. The Hebrew word was tobe, T-O-B, which means fine or good or handsome. But what mother doesn't think her child is beautiful? So it's kind of funny that she decides to save him because she thinks he's beautiful. And remember, it's really odd because Moses is writing this, so why would he include this vain detail about himself? Like, I'm writing my own story. <laughs> You're right, because no, he was kind of a my, humble guy. My mom saved me because I am fine. <laughs> it's very odd. Alright, so here's the theory. The theory is that T O B or fine, as the NIV translation says, is supposed to mimic Genesis one where God pronounces creation good. It's the same kind of word. So God says his creation is good. And Moses is specifically mimicking that because this gives the birth of Moses a recreation thing theme like oh and the child was born and the child was good just like what god said when he made adam exactly therefore moses birth is not really about the birth of one man but the birth of a people and it's god thing and i created moses and it was good and the people are going to come out and and be prosperous again so moses is going to save his people and through him they will receive a new beginning
0: that's interesting too because all these Hebrew people would have known the
1: story of Genesis by this time, right? Exactly. And that's where Moses really impresses me as kind of a wordsmither. He's always tying it back to a theme or something in in Genesis. Which is interesting since he, I certainly
0: he was an orator, but had some word issues when he spoke it, but when he wrote it, he
1: did some very artistic things apparently. He did. Bible bender. I know. All right. Here's another Hebrew meaning I want to explain. And it's, for the word, a papyrus basket. So that was the way it read in the NIV translation. Well, the Hebrew word taba actually means ark, which is another clear connection to Genesis. The wor- this word taba is only used twice in the entire Old Testament. Here, and in the story of the flood in Genesis 6 or 9, baby Moses is set in an air quote ark to float on the Nile. Both Noah and Moses are specifically selected to survive a tragic watery fate. Which God said he would never do again. That's he would so never fascinating. flood the earth. He said he would never flood the earth. He's not flooding the earth. Both are placed in an ark and carried to safety on the very body of water that brings destruction to others. And both Noah and Moses are the leaders through whom God creates a new people for his plan of redemption. Moses chooses his word words so carefully to point to God's pattern and plan. In the first two chapters of Exodus, we can already see the intertwining of the creation and redemption in Genesis. Okay, here's a theme about this whole birth that we need to cover too. There's this theme of the birth of a child as an instrument to God's plan that is continued in other parts of the Bible. For example, usually it's a miraculous or against, against the odds birth. In this case, Moses is born when babies are being killed. Isaac was born to Sarah in her very old age. Samson was also born um to a, a mother who was very old, and he became a mighty deliverer. Hannah and the birth of Samuel, um, who became a priest or leader. And then, of course, ultimately, Jesus is born in another time when babies are being killed by a cruel king, and he redeems us all. So there's this kind of theme throughout the Bible of unexpected, difficult births that result in miraculous or life saving events.
0: And a theme, you can't stop God. No, you cannot. leaders keep trying to stop his plan by killing the babies. You can't stop God. You cannot. You cannot. All right. Continuing in verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew
1: him out of the water. Okay, Moses, the name, is a Hebrew name, meaning drawn out. He was drawn out of the water. But this doesn't make sense because Pharaoh... Pharaoh's daughter named him and she wasn't Hebrew. So the theory is that his name may have originally been either Hapmos or Eramos. both mean one born of the Nile. So the Hap and the arrow were, you know, one born. And then later when he rejected the Egyptians and kind of became a part of the Hebrew people, he may have rejected that name and shortened it to Moses, which is Hebrew and means drawn out which still fits his birth okay this story has a lot of female heroines so I kind of want to do a shout out to the girls in this story first the midwives I already kind of covered they were just boldly courageous then clearly Jacobed was faithfully courageous. And Jacobed
0: is Moses's mom? Correct. But it hasn't said her name. No, Did you get I that just from gave some the name. genealogies? No, we're going
1: to get it later in later verses, but I thought I'd lay it out all now everybody's name so you know the characters. Okay, and his family situation. He was he was actually the third born, which is he wasn't the first one. So clearly Jochebed, she was faithfully courageous. Then Pharaoh's daughter, I, I said she was rebelliously courageous because she publicly disobeys her father and gets away with it. I mean, at some point they all knew this was a Hebrew baby. Yeah, and it was she, obvious. <laughs> she had taken him into her, you know, she must have been the spoiled princess who could just do what she wanted. Uh, and then Moses' providential cry in the story, it, it's kind of cute to me that some kids just know how to work it. Because right as the little basket hits Pharaoh's daughter, he lets out this cry, and she takes a peek in, and and I love that the cry was the thing that motivated the princess to keep him. Like, oh, she felt bad for him, so I think that was kind of sweet. And and I and I give her props to Pharaoh's daughter because she never forgot Moses. You know, uh, Jochebed takes a Moses back into her home to nurse him. Well, she would have probably nursed him till he was at least three, and then Pharaoh's Daughter calls him back. Wouldn't so, that be heart wrenching to give your baby back to her? At least you know, but three? like I mentioned, Hannah earlier, she gave up her son at 4 Samuel um, to be a servant in the temple. So again, it was better to know that your child was alive and going to live and live a great life than to die. But I give Pharaoh's daughter props because she must have stayed in touch with Jochebed over those three years and must have developed an immediate affection for the baby because she took him back. And raised him then as her own son.
0: So, if she had to give the baby away to the water because she was afraid they would kill the baby, then when she got the baby back, why didn't they kill him anyway?
1: Did they just think that he wasn't really his? Because Pharaoh's daughter said, No, this is my baby. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I don't, no, Jacobin wouldn't have gone to live in the palace. So, but I guess she got her way in whatever she wanted. Mm -hmm. That's my baby. And it didn't really say this, but the
0: female slave was Moses's sister. Is that why she chose to give him back to his own mom? How did she know which baby this was? Who? When it said that she gave the baby back to
1: her own its own mother so it, it, it's when you read it miriam doesn't say this is the baby's mother she said oh would you like me to go find somebody to nurse the baby yeah and you know the, the queen oh yeah i'm used to servants go get me somebody and so she goes and gets her mother we don't know that pharaoh's daughter ever knew that jochebed was really moses's mother For all she knew, it was just, you know, more people offering to serve her. Yeah, go get me some money. So she got played as well. Maybe, well, not played, but... All right, then lastly, our last female heroine here is Miriam, who was brilliantly courageous. This is a child, but she thinks so fast. She's just sitting there over the reeds. I don't know what her mother told her, but certainly her mother wasn't telling her, hey, if Pharaoh's daughter pulls her out of the water, this is what I want you to say. No, they didn't know what was gonna happen to Moses. She thinks so fast, she boldly approaches... this princess who probably had half a dozen servants waiting on her and gives her a plan to get her brother back. So props to her for an eight-year-old. She was pretty quick on her feet and pretty courageous because I don't know how often people could approach the princess, but I wouldn't think very often. All right, here's the irony of Moses's childhood and see if you can track with me on this because it is pretty ironic. It was Pharaoh's decree to kill the boys that drove jochebed to take a chance on the river ironically, the plan to rescue Moses from Pharaoh resulted in his being raised by Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's house with more privilege than he ever would have had as a slave. And it was as a slave that they were afraid of him. And he probably got very well educated while he was there. Yes, yes. But isn't that crazy that, you know, the poor mom is being forced to put him in the river because of the decree. And then he's pulled out of the river and ends up in the palace.
0: But if he hadn't been in the palace, he might have not been educated enough to even write well, these five books. That's to begin. how God
1: uses it. Yeah. Whatever the enemy plans as a thing of destruction. And I'm going to get to this. God uses. The irony is, is that what Pharaoh intended to kill results in the saving of many lives. Does that sound familiar? Ooh, yes, does, okay, I'm going there. There's an, another example of this. In what Joseph experienced when his brothers sold him into slavery, God turned his difficult situation into a way to save his people. And Joseph said that to his brothers in the end of Genesis, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives.
0: So here's what I want to ask everybody listening. What have you gone through in your life that seemed at the time that it was something very bad? That could be something God is using to help other people.
1: Yeah, because we're just two chapters after when Joseph said this. Moses could have said the exact same thing to Pharaoh. He could have said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. I was raised right underneath your nose, and now I'm going to save my people.
0: (laughs) And it might be something you're going through today. Just know there's something good on the other side. It might be something you went through 10 years ago. But if God hasn't used it yet, he will. And what do you need to do
1: today to Mm -hmm. say yes to God and to be obedient so that he can? Because there's one thing for sure I know we can expect from God. Expect the unexpected. No matter how dark or evil your situation, God can turn it into good. Romans 828 says this, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God will take trials and turn them into triumphs. God could have changed the circumstances of Moses' birth. He could have had him born to a king but he didn't instead he used Moses's circumstances in amazing and unexpected ways and he'll use yours too
0: what's a club without friends if you're enjoying the bible book club why don't you share it and then you can say welcome Welcome to to the the club." club